Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. As we've come to Western Poland to serve along beside the Church of Poland as they serve the Ukrainian refugees, one of the unexpected, uh, I guess, ministries that took place in our trip here has been the opportunity to walk beside pastors and their families. The pastors of Western Poland have been pouring themselves out for three and a half months, every day, 24-7, opening up their houses, opening up their churches. The church alone that we are at is a church of about 150 people, but they've had over 5,000 refugees come through their church, eat meals, sleep on the floor, sleep in the pews. It's been an incredible, and they've served endlessly and with grateful hearts. Another church that we were able to serve beside, it's much smaller, probably the size of most of our living rooms, but yet they've had 600 refugees come through their doors. Again, the pastors are pouring out and they're exhausted. But then there's the the, the pastors of Ukraine that we've been able to meet. And every day we're meeting a new one and being able to see their families and their kids. And in in fact, there's been Pastor Alexis who's moved here to Western Poland and he's serving the church here. He's not taking a vacation. He's not breaking. He is jumping in with both feet as he serves the local church. And then there's Pastor Peter who we met whenever he was loading up his car with humanitarian aid. As he's driving back to the Donbass region, the most violent area of Ukraine right now, and he has not left his congregation. He is still there. Many of the congregation has left, but we're seeing, he's seeing a revival of new people coming to faith in Christ that have stayed in, uh, in Eastern Ukraine and are still living there. One of the pastors, that I prayed with in the morning was a pastor who is from the middle, the central part of uh, Ukraine. And he's, I can't say it no other way. He's absolutely exhausted. He said he's traveled over the past three to four months. He's traveled 40,000 kilometers and he has served his family, getting them to safety, moving them to safe places. But he's also continuing to come to the border, come to the church, get humanitarian aid, go back, take it, come back and forth and continue to serve 40,000 kilometers in four months. It's incredible, but he's exhausted. So Grace Point Church, let us not forget the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ that is not just local, but the bride of Christ that is global. And let us stand in the gap. Let us continue to pray. Let us continue to give. Let us continue to go. And let us continue to support the church that is continuing to do the work of God, even in the midst of war. We are are very thankful for all people who can us help. And uh, we we help uh, people in, in war zone. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. What a time. It was an opportunity to go with eight people, uh, seven other people from our church, and to be able to serve along them. And I can tell you about this. This is a trip 
that it was nothing that we prepared for, but it was everything that the church in Poland and Ukraine needed. We were going to do this kind of work over here, and God shifted it within a day. We began to see that this is the work that we're going to be doing. And so on those global adventures, you just have to be flexible all the way through, and you just have to respond to God, just like we should do every day in our life, for that matter. But being able to be a part of encouraging the church that is exhausted from all the service. I can tell you this, it was a beautiful picture of the church. Not only are people just loving on serving, doing whatever needed to be done, but also seeing Ukrainian pastors, Pastor Peter there at the end, who's literally living in a war zone. His church has gone from 600 down to 20, but yet the Sunday before he had 200 there. And I said, where where did they all come from? Is it they were all unbelievers. They're now coming to the church looking for peace and hope. So again, you just see the beauty of the church in situations even like that. So again, yeah, give the Lord a hand for that. Just even in the midst of war, God is drawing people to himself. And the beautiful part of the church, if we've been talking about my church, how beautifully imperfect that we are, where do we see the beauty of the church? Well, don't take my word for it. Take the word of God for it. It says in the book of Romans chapter 10, verse 15, it says that how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So literally, as we go, as we share, as we show Jesus, we are literally being a beautiful church when we take the good news of Jesus into places, into people's lives, whether it's our neighbor across the street or it's another country around the world. So grateful for our friends team that that got back after uh, sharing the gospel packets with uh, 523 gospel packets given out to people that are going into Northern Africa. Places where if you take a gospel, if you take the Bible, if you, if you profess the name of Christ, then you could easily be jailed and even killed. Uh, but they were giving the gospel out to them as they loaded on ferries to go across. Again, the gospel was going out. Beautiful feet were the feet of our, our team members. The 240 kids who showed up at New Day Orphanage to hear the gospel shared. Again, the beautiful feet of Grace Point Church being in the midst of a village in the middle of Africa and Zambia, sharing the gospel. Again, how, what makes the, the church beautiful? The gospel being shared from within the church and outside of the church. And I hope that if you have time tomorrow evening, 6.30, grab dinner before you come. We're going to have some snacks here hanging out, and we're going to get to hear from a representation of all of the teams that went out. Just a chance to hang out, just a chance to ask questions that we don't have time for on a Sunday morning. So if you've got time tomorrow evening, bring your kids and also maybe ask Caleb about future upcoming trips that are around uh, in, the, in the works this year and even into next year. So that's tomorrow evening. But as you think about it, the beauty of the church, sharing the gospel, sharing the good news, the beautiful feet of the, of the church doing that, where does that beauty, what is the essence, what is the attractional element of the beauty inside the church? It's nothing that we create. It's not our slick marketing. It's not our beautiful social media. It's not because we do great videos or have awesome band. It's not even, nothing of that makes a beautiful church. It may make it attractive, but what makes beauty is deeper, deeper down inside. Inside the church in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 21, it says, to him be glory in the church. 
where the beauty of the church, the real beauty of the church resonates from, originates from, is from the glory of God. So when the glory is being shown in the church, when the glory is being shown through the church, when the glory of God is being manifest inside the church and outside the church, then you're seeing the beauty. It's an attractional element this world cannot not reproduce. And it's not only for today, we need to be preparing the next generation and the next generation. So as we talk about investing in kids, investing in teenagers, investing in our future, we're talking about trying to take the glory of God and make sure it gets down to every generation. As we think about the beauty of the church, and again, in this series we've been talking about how beautifully imperfect, and we are beautifully imperfect. And, and we want to be authentic about that. We've said from the beginning, day one, 21 years ago, that we want to be an authentic church for those who've given up on the church but haven't given up on God. Well, part of that authenticity is you're willing to identify, you're willing to be transparent and very real about not only the beauty of the church, as I just spoke of, but also the brokenness and the imperfections of the church. And if we're not going to try to pretend here that we've got it all figured out. That our beauty is the, is the only thing you're going to see. You're not going to see any warts with us. You're not going to see any scars with us. No, there's a brokenness inside of us. And how do we approach this? Our beauty, we walk in grace and humility. And in our imperfections, we apply repentance and mercy. And that is how we just live in this dichotomy of these two, beauty and imperfections coming together, working together, and being this imperfect yet beautiful Church, take your Bibles and open to Second Timothy as we've been reading through the pastoral letters. And I call them the pastoral letters because they were written to pastors. It was not my 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 title. Many scholars years before have named these the pastoral letters. First and Second Timothy and Titus being those letters. Only three of them. Why do we call them the pastoral letters? Because they're written to pastors. All most of the other of Paul's letters, all but one of them, are written to churches as a whole. And so as he's writing these letters to the pastors, we're, 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 we're surveying and making hops, jumps, and skips around these letters. And there's no way I could come to this passage or come through the pastoral epistles or the letters and not share what I'm going to share today. It is absolutely critical, mission critical, to what makes a beautiful, imperfect church more beautiful as we go along. But we've got to understand the timeline. When is, when is this happening? What's happening? There's about a decade from 60 to about 70 or 72 or 73 that it is a tumultuous time on the planet. All right? Everything from Paul goes to Rome for the very first time. James's half-brother of Jesus is martyred, which is only a, a point on the calendar because just about every one of the apostles of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, was murdered outside of maybe uh, the, the apostle John. And then Nero in 64 burns Rome, blames it on the Christians and the Jews because they were, in many people's eyes, considered a sect. We Christians were considered a sect of Judaism. So he blames it on the Christians uh, for burning the city, which then leads to Jewish revolt, okay? They're like, I'm tired of Rome. I'm through with Rome. We've got to get rid of Rome. And so they rise up and they're going to conquer Rome. Only thing that happens is Rome conquers them even more puts an even greater iron fist upon them, murdering over thousands, genocide if you want to call it that, thousands of Jews during that same 
time period. The Romans go, the, then go on. We're going to go. We're going to go take care of Israel. We're going to put them in their place. They're not going to do this anymore. So what they do is they go to Israel, or uh, as we know it is Israel today. They con- conquer Qumran community, which is a religious sect community. Then they go to the the uh, the Magna Carta, if you will. They conquer Jerusalem. And when they conquer Jerusalem, they don't just take over Jerusalem. They literally destroy the second temple. Since that day in AD 70, there has not been a temple on the Temple Mount. And that 37 acres of land to this day is the most disputed land on the planet. Three major religions of the world point to that piece of property, that 37 acres, as their acreage, as their place of their faith. And it is to this day a disputed piece of land. But that when they conquer Jerusalem, when they destroy the temple, that takes it to a whole new level. Finally, there is the Alamo, if you will. The Alamo is whenever there is the uh, Masada, uh, and Israel climbs up to the top of the mountain to, to protect themselves in this garrison, and Jerusalem is conquered, and Rome now conquers Masada and kills them. Again, a lot of history there. And why is that important? Because right in the middle of it all, Paul is penning a letter, and he's writing to Timothy, and he's saying, man, it's bad. I'm in Rome. It's bad, and it's only going to get worse. The season, the life, the period that we're in right now is bad. It was a political, religious inflection point where there was chaos, where there was distrust in one another, where there was cultural disequilibrium that was going on between peoples and between nations, and it was a difficult time to even exist. And I think, now, though we're not burning temples, there is so much going on in our culture right now that we too are at an inflection point where there is chaos, where there is distrust, where there is disequilibrium. And whenever you look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, you find these words. He says, but understand this. Again, remember, what, where's Paul writing? He's writing, he's writing this, and he's writing this letter to them, uh, to Timothy, probably from a prison cell at this point for being a Christian. And he's writing, he's saying this. He says that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Now, times of difficulty is what you need to focus on there because that's going to be something that we're going to face again and again throughout history. And I would say right now, we're in a day of chaos. We're in a day of distrust. We're in a day where there's a cultural disequilibrium. I don't know about you, if you're on the social medias, there's an amazing way that we have to communicate with one another across the social spectrums where it's, it's, it's incredible the way people will talk to one another or talk at one another. I want to give you a Bible verse, okay? Though it's amplified, though it's the McDaniel translation, just, just bear with me. It's James chapter 1, verse 19, and it is this, be quick to listen and slow to post. If we would take that verse and apply it to our lives, we might have a little bit more civility in our culture. So you look at the social medias, then you look at the political divisions. I learned this two weeks ago of a family that is so divided, 
siblings are no longer being with parents, and parents are very happy with it right now, of the kids not being with them because of the, of the social polarization that's happened in our culture, has, fit in, has, has seeped into their family, and they are now divided as a family. I'm thinking, what has happened? Chaos, distrust, disequilibrium. What do you do with that? When I look at the war that's happening in the streets, in the schools, in the shopping malls. Yes, I will tell you this. My personal opinion is I am very glad that Roe v. Wade has been repealed. I'm very glad that we're in a situation where there is going to be life honored in the womb. Now, I realize that there's still so much to be determined about where where this is going to go. But here's what I want you to hear me say. Not just about Roe v. Wade and that Mike McDaniel's pro-life. I want you to hear Mike McDaniel say this, that Mike McDaniel is pro-all life. For all of your life. So it's not just the pre-born baby. It's the born baby that is being put up for adoption that's unwanted in an unwanted home. Because we might have changed the laws, and laws may change, but hearts haven't changed. And so what that means is that means if we're going to believe that, 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 that we need to believe in that life, there's going to be a lot more babies put up for adoption. And what that means is if we really have this conviction back here, we need to carry that conviction into the future. And so there need to be a whole lot more Christian homes opening up their homes saying, hey, I will welcome babies into my home. I will welcome children into my home. Lori and I are already talking about what is our life going to look as empty nesters about welcoming children into our home that haven't been there. So we are already in the, in the process of talking about becoming respite care for foster families. When I talk about pro-all life, that is all life from, from kids going to schools and shopping malls and being murdered. Come on. If we're pro-life, let's pro-all life. And what we're doing currently isn't fixing it. I don't know what the answer is, but if we're going to be pro-life, let's be pro-all life all the way through life. Now, I'll just tell you this. In this past nine months, I was approached by somebody that I, I love very much, was part of the church, was fully invested in the church, and they said they were leaving the church because I wasn't Republican enough. I wasn't to the right enough. I was, I, was, I was a little bit too far, too far to the left in my, in my talks or in my messages. And that hurt. It hurt because I, I thought, oh, man, hopefully I'm being misunderstood in, in, where, in where I am. Two weeks before going to Poland, I was given word from another family that said they were leaving the church because I was too far to the other side. I was too aligned with the progressives. And it's like I'm, like I'm like being jerked back and forth. I got whiplash going on. It's like, am I on the right or am I on the left or am I on the center? It's like in the past two weeks of being away, this is where I'm landing. I don't care about being on the right or the left or the center. I just want to be biblical. And if I can be biblical in grace and truth, and if I can tell truth in love to one another, then I think that elevates the beauty of God's glory in the church. So let us be a church this shows off God's glory. Let us be a church that people will see and want to be a part of because there's such grace and there's such truth.
Because chapter 3, verse 1 tells us that we are going to be living in difficult days, and I believe we are living in difficult days. But also, I love this passage so much because of the the challenge all the way in chapter 4, verse 2, where he says, preach the word. So in that middle, in that middle ground between chapter 3, verse 1 and chapter 4, verse 2 is where we're going to camp today. Real quickly, I want us to see what are we to do? How, is, how do we to walk through these difficult days and how do we make way in the difficult ways? Is it the right? Is it the left? Is it the center? Have you noticed everybody thinks they're in the center? Uh, wh- wherever you think you may be, is it the right, the left, the Republicans, the Democrats, or is it biblical? Am I living a life that aligns with Scripture? And there's three waypoints, if you will, on this journey. The first waypoint is that life can be a mess to navigate. Whenever he says that it's difficult and and the wars that are out there, we need to realize that there's wars going on in here. And the greatest war that I have is not the war in Ukraine. It's not the war across the, the political parties. The greatest war that I need to be focusing on is the war in my own heart. And the life that I live and the words that I say and the attitudes that I exhume uh, when, I, when, I, when I am in this world. Look at verse 2 of this same chapter. Chapter 3, verse 1, we just read that. Difficulties, times of difficulties. For people will be lovers of self. This is how he's going to describe the difficult days ahead. Lovers of self, lovers of money, arrogant, uh, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, brutal. Some of the words that I see and hear are brutal. Not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Now, I just, here's a, here's a challenge for you. Read and understand what swollen with conceit is. Because he's already talked about proud, being proud. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having the appearance of godliness. That means they go to church every week. They claim to be Christians, but denying its power. When I look at these 21 different descriptors that I counted, you count them for yourself, that describes a difficult culture, a difficult milieu that we may be living in, that I think that we are very much living in. This was written in the first century. It could have been written in the 21st century. Those descriptors right there, let me read it to you from the message. All right, here's the challenge to you this week. I want you to take this passage. I want you to circle every one of those that you think that describes the culture in which we live. Or even better, circle and underline or highlight the ones that describe your own heart. Because we're going to have to navigate the mess that we're in. We have to navigate the mess of our own heart. Here's how the message puts it. People are going to be self-absorbed, money-hungry, self-promoting, stuck-up, profane, contemptuous of Parents crude, coarse, dog-eat-dog, unbending, slanderous, impulsively, wild, savage, cynical, treacherous, ruthless, bloated windbags. I like that one. Addicted to lust and allergic to God. They make a show of religion, but behind the scenes, they're animals. You go on, you keep reading about the the difficult times. In verse 8, he talks about Janus and Jambres opposed to Moses. Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men oppose 
truth. Now, who's this Janice and Jambres? I'll just save you a lot of study time. That They're not mentioned anywhere in Scripture. They're not mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament. Many people believe that they were Pharaoh's magicians that were a part of trying to tear down the Yahweh religion of that day. And that's what they believe. So they were opposing the truth that Moses was teaching. And my friends, we live in a day where we oppose truth. Go down to chapter 4, verse 3. And he says, this is what our future also looks like. He says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Instead of finding a truth-teaching church, pastor, whatever, I want to find a church that agrees with me and my passion. Instead of yielding myself to truth, I'm going to make the church yield itself to my desires. What do you see when you look at this? You see people that are allergic to God. You see people opposed to the truth and wandering after myths. Wandering after myths. See, truth in this world has become relative. In this post-truth world, it's relative, it's subjective, and it's temporary. Just think, hey, let those, it's relative. It's what's good for you. It's, what's, it's, it, it's, it's whatever you think in your time, in your culture, in your, in, your, in your context. It's subjective. It's like it's my truth and you have your truth. It's temporary. It's like there's nothing absolute. We can't count on anything. That's the world in which we live. But if you understand the Scriptures as real truth, truth is global. It's not relative. It's objective. It's not subjective. And it is eternal. We bend to the truth. The truth doesn't bend to us. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God stands forever. Let us not forget Isaiah 40, verse 8. The Word of God stands forever. Kingdoms will come and kingdoms will go. There will be a day that America will be no more. I am not prophesying that. It is a reality just looking at history. There's not a nation that's existed for all time. Kingdoms will come and kingdoms will go, but the word of God will stand forever. Relationships will start and relationships will end, but the kingdom of, but the word of God will stand forever. Jobs will come and jobs will go, but the word of God will stand forever. Ideologies will come and ideologies will go, but the word of God will stand forever. Leaders will come and leaders will go. Pastors will come and pastors will go, but the word of God will stand forever. Life starts and life ends, but the word of God stands forever. How will we navigate this mess? Number two, our navigation. Got a mess to navigate. Our navigation needs a navigator. Our navigation needs a navigator. As we're trying to figure our way through the, the melu that we're in, as, as you've heard us say in several weeks now, and I just want to put one more plug in, in there today, and that we're moving the church to more of an elder, wanting, wanting to move the church to more of an elder model-led church. And so on the 31st uh, of this month, uh, we will have a special strategy meeting, and we're going to be unveiling and sending more and more stuff to our members, so be looking for that in your inbox. But if you want to kind of follow along and just kind of check us out and read documents as we continue to post things, like this week we posted uh, the role response responsibilities of our elders. Uh, we put that online, and so you can check all of that out. It's out there for you. But here's what I, more than anything, is I want you to be a part of our prayer emphasis. Because we're about 21 days into 40 days of prayer, of praying for our church. And if you're not reading that material, that's up to you. But praying for your church is not optional. Please sign up for that. 
You can sign up by texting in GPC Pray to 97. Triple zero, and that will get you there. But how do we navigate? How do well, we need a navigator? And Google Maps isn't going to get you there. Paul told Tim, Titus, told you about the two pastoral letters, or two pastoral uh, recipients, Titus and Timothy. Here's what he told Titus. He says, "Encourage others by sound doctrine, and refute those who oppose it." Now, he tells us two things in there. It's a life principle for us when we look at the Scriptures. The Scriptures are going to encourage us, and the Scriptures are going to refute us at times. There's a life principle. Truth comforts us at times, but truth also confronts us at times. We don't get to choose which it is. Truth is preeminent to our lives. When you live in a post-truth world, my am preeminent to truth. But whenever I live in a truth, real truth world, then my life subjects to God's truth. And there are times, sad to say, that I need a good old confrontation with truth. I need a good old gut check with truth. Paul is, again, discipling Timothy. Timothy, many, many scholars believe, grew up in a single-parent home, raised by his mother and his grandmother, his mother Eunice, his grandmother Lois, and was a mixed-race child. He was born of a, Jew, a Hebrew mother and a, a Greek uh, father, and there is no mention of the, the father ever in the story. Now, I may have just described some of you. Now, you think you're a mixed race in that first century, it'd be like being a mixed race in the 60s or the 50s in America. That he was just not acceptable. So here's Timothy. He's an, out, he's an outcast. He's being raised and discipled by his mother and his grandmother. And in comes t- Paul. Paul begins to disciple him and bring him along. And this is what it says in chapter 2, verse 10. It says, you, however, so all this mess is going on around us. You, however, have followed my teaching. You followed my teaching. You followed my conduct. You followed my aim in life. You followed my faith. You followed my patience. You followed my love. You followed my steadfastness. You followed my persecutions. You followed my sufferings. You can see the intimate connection You can see Paul is helping Timothy navigate through the mess and the chaos and the confusion and the difficulties of life. I pray that when you look at our elders as we will reveal them to you next week that we're proposing, I hope that you'll look at them and you'll go, those elders are absolutely people that are worthy of being followed because they are walking with the Lord. Paul was a person who points to not only what he's doing, but what he's saying. There's truth telling and there's truth walking, and he's doing both. He says, you have followed my teaching. You followed my conduct. See, when, when you're a person, you're a pastor, or you're a small group leader, or, or you're shepherding anybody, you're a preschool teacher, listen, there must be alignment between your conduct and your words. When your audio and your video don't line up, do you like watching that movie? No turn it off. See, our audio and our video of our life has got to line up. And when you think about the elders being those servant leaders in our church and our pastors being our shepherding leaders in our church, when you think about that three-legged stool that we've talked about and, and, and the value of, the, of those roles, I hope that you will see pastors are here to help and to walk with you. I just spent a week 
and uh, in my annual study time, if any of you all know about that, I pull aside, I turn off as much as I can, I disconnect as, and zero in. What is God teaching? What is God leading? I ask all of our pastors, hey, tell me, where are, where's God at work? Where, where are people needing the word of God spoken? And, and I just kind of work through that with the, with the pastors, and I go to the side and I pray. One of the things we're going to be kicking off in the 1st of September is a study through the book of Ephesians. We're going to be calling it, But God. And I'll explain that a little bit more later on. But when God interrupts our life with His grace. What does that mean and what does that look like? When it does, He leads us through His Word. He leads us to good, what is good, what is right, and what is true. Now friends, if we need navigation through this mess of life, if we need a navigator through this mess of life, and you don't have somebody, people in your life, small group leaders, pastors, elders, whatever, that are leading you to what is good and what is right and what is true, you need to bail. Because this world has enough confusion, enough chaos, enough disequilibrium. We need to be heading to good, right, and true. And the Scripture does point us there. So a navigator is what we need. But what does a navigator, what does a navigator do? Our navigator needs a true north. There's a difference between the north. There's the magnetic north, and then there is the true north. Look it up. Magnetic uh, is is actually a a true north that our compasses use that actually can vary based on uh, even metals that are around us that can alter the the lining up of that compass. Uh, A magnetic north will head you north but will not get you to the true north. The true north never, ever changes. A magnetic north changes based on location, based on time, based on the polarization inside the earth and this magnetic pull that we have going on. There's a lot of things that affect, but the true north never changes. In fact, you can go to the magnetic north and go to the true north and be 500 kilometers apart, separating more and more as you go. We need a true north that is undoubtedly the the direction in which God wants us to go. How do we get there? The Word of God, again, the Word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, the psalmist said. He says, joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. You want more joy in your life? Well, get out of the dumpster fire of bad decisions and bad choices and let the true north be your guiding point in life. Again, he tells him, my teaching, I'm trying to point you, in chapter 3, verse 10, I'm trying to point you into the truth. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, this is where I'm going with the whole message. Verse 1, he says, I charge you. Now, after he goes all this difficult times and all this mess you're going to be going through, everything in Timothy, you've been right by my side. You've learned from me. You've listened to me. Now, where do you go? Chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Every single person within the sound of my voice, every every single person watching online right now, just has to realize that there is coming a day when every single one of us will have to stand before God and give an account to both the living and the dead to Jesus Christ by His appearing in His kingdom. And so what are you to do with this Timothy, where do you go with this reality that every single one of us is going to stand before the creator of the universe? What are you to do, Timothy? You're to do one thing, preach the word. You've got to preach the word. 
Because if you don't get the word in it, you may not be the coolest pastor, you may not be the brightest pastor, you may not be the creative pastor, but you have got to preach the word. That's what I'm saying. I may not be right, I may not be center, I may not be left, but I pray that I am biblical. I don't think Timothy was a CP pastor or a PC pastor. He was not a celebrity pastor. I don't think it was about growing his platform and his social media relationships and measuring his success by his likes, his shares, or his followers. I don't think that that was what he was, a celebrity pastor. Neither do I think he was a politically correct pastor. Otherwise, he wouldn't have found himself persecuted right along with with Paul all the way. He was living his life for an audience of one. You go to 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, it says, Work hard so that you can present yourself to God. At the end of the day, who am I presenting myself to? To you? Hmm? To Lori? Not really. At the end of my life, I'm presenting myself to God. So work hard as if you're presenting yourself to God, receiving his approval. Be a good worker. One who does not need to be ashamed. Who correctly explains the word of truth. You look at verse 16, you see what that word of truth is. Verse 16 says it like this, and this, don't miss this, this is very important. Even if you would, were to memorize it, this would be a great one to memorize, verse 16 and 17, where he tells us about what God's word is. Why, 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 why the word? Why? If, if, if the mess needs a navigation and the navigation is, needs a navigator and the navigator needs a true north, why do we call the Bible the true north? Why is this ancient book so important that we would call it the true north? It's because of these words right here. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for, for, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God or the woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. If you just take that right there and understand that God's Word, all God's Word is inspired. Now, there's a breadth and there's a depth to that, all. There's a breadth of it. It's every bit of it as it was given to the original writers. It was inspired and inerrant and infallible. It was, has a depth about it in the fact that it was breathed out by God. It's not just some Joe Olstein kind of platitudes or Edgar Allan Poe or, 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 or Brene Brown or just some inspirational writings. It's inspired. My God, breathed out for us. Why, my friends, would we not spend hours every day in this Word, allowing it to shape us? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 says, for of all, First of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit spoke into Peter, spoke in uh, the writer of Hebrews, spoke into the Apostle John, spoke into Luke when he was recording, spoke into Matthew, speaking into them as they were recording it. Why do we not spend more time in this book? Why do we not let it shape us and mold us? Say, I don't have time. I get it. Too much TikTok time. Too much going on in the socials that you got to be there. I mean, I get a notification every every week. 
It tells me how much I've been on the social. I wonder if I lined up how much time I've been on the social medias to how much time I've spent in the Word, just, just, just grazing, just enjoying, just consuming. What, what, what would be the comparison? So I looked it up. Uh, what does America look like? As of April this year, the average American will spend 45.8 minutes on TikTok, 45.6 minutes a day on YouTube. And this is all ages, so you can, you can adjust the age based on uh, uh, some of this. 30 minutes on Facebook and Instagram. So here's my challenge to you. Match whatever you use on social media to God's Word. For the next, let's say, 40 days, you're not going to spend any less time in the Word than you spend in social medias or whatever you spend in in decompressing or doing your thing out there. What about spending time drinking in, feasting on the Word of God? Why would I do that? Why is that so important? Because the Word that was inspired by God, that God breathed, is profitable. It's profitable. It doesn't just make you rich in life. It gives you substance in life. Listen, every one of us needs to be steered and directed. Every one of us needs to to have God's Word speak into us. The the Greek word here uh, is adventurous or beneficial. That God's Word is beneficial to us, adventurous to us. Listen, if you knew everything about me, you wouldn't want to come to this church. And I'm afraid if I knew everything about you, I wouldn't want you to come to this church. We're all a bunch of crackpots. Every last one of us needs the Word of God to help sanctify our lives. That's why Jesus prayed in John 17, the last prayer before He goes to the cross. He said this, Father, sanctify them in the truth, my Word. Your word is truth. And whenever you look at what does it mean to be profitable, he says, well, it's good for teaching, it's for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness. What does that mean? Well, for teaching, it helps you know what's right. In a world that doesn't know what's right, it helps you know what's right. It helps you know when you're wrong. It reproves you. Every now and then, we need to be confronted with the Scriptures. It helps us get right when we are wrong. It corrects us. It helps us to stay right. It trains us in righteousness. The power of God's Word in our lives, what does it do? It is also purposeful. God's Word is purposeful in our life. He says in verse 17, that, that is the henna clause in the Greek language, which means a purpose clause. All of this that I'm going to say about the Word of God, God breathed it, God God ordained it, God inspired it, God God spoke it in for teaching, for training, for all of that. Why does He do that? The henna clause, that the man of God may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. So that that I might be able to do the good works, that I might be able to be a better person. This book is not just an archaic book. It is a fresh breath of God into our lives to this day. And how much time do you spend devouring? David Platt tells the story of, um, of a missionary whenever he was with the IMB uh, as a president. He tells the story of a, of a missionary in an urban setting 
that uh, was going around and meeting people and sharing and getting to know them and giving them copies of the New Testament uh, and passing them out to, to people. And he came across this one guy I latched on to, really kind of got to know pretty well. And he gave him a Bible, and the guy was pretty open and transparent. He said, oh, these are really good pages and really, really nice. And he said, you know what? This is the kind of paper I use to, when I roll my cigarettes. And he's just looking at it. And so the missionary said, well, please, before you smoke it, would you read it? And so the guy made a deal with the missionary that before I smoke a page, I will read the page. And so he started reading, and he started smoking. And he got through all the way through Matthew, and then he went to Mark, and then he went to Luke. And finally, the missionary came back and saw him after he got to John, and he said, I've stopped. He said, you stopped what? I stopped smoking. Stopped smoking the, the Scriptures. I started in Matthew and Mark and Luke, and, and I got to John. I got to John 3.16, and John 3.16, I read how for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And I stopped. And I've given my life to Jesus. And this day, you know what that, that, that missionary, that, 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 that new convert, is it? He's now in pastor training about becoming a person who will help people navigate through the brokenness and the difficulties of this world by using the Word of God. Listen, I'll tell you this. I am not the best preacher in Northwest Arkansas or online. People can preach better than I can. But nobody can preach a better gospel. This truth will change your life. And there's not a better gospel. Do you know Jesus? You don't. Give yourself to Him. And then start devouring His Word for you. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, Your Word in a day of confusion and chaos and disequilibrium and broken trust and what is truth. God, your word never changes. Through the centuries, through persecutions, through burnings, through bannings, your word has been there. And what, what are we to do in this crazy chaos and confusion? We are to declare the Word. We may not get a lot of things right at Grace Point Church, but I pray that whether you're in our preschool or you're in our student ministry or you're in our kids' church, I pray that every single encounter with every small group leader, with every one, there will be the truth of God's Word proclaimed. I pray that when we go into our neighborhoods, into our traveling sports teams or gymnastics teams or, or whenever we're in our work cubicles or whatever, that, Father, we will proclaim the beautiful, the life-changing truth of God's Word. But, Father, we can't proclaim it unless we possess it. So, God, would you speak your truth? Anybody who does not know you today, Father, I pray that you would help them give themselves to you. Say yes 
and change them forever. They may be a man or woman of God equipped for every good work. Lord, we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing? Because this church is built on God's truth. It is the rock. It is the foundation. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, please come see me. Text in to us. Let us know because we want to walk with you in your faith journey. But let us declare right here and now that this is God's church and he is building it. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Scent.